Now, as you're turning there and finding Jeremiah chapter 37, I want to sort of lay the, the land here, let you know what's happening. Jerusalem at this point is only just maybe a, a couple of years away from total annihilation and destruction. God had been warning his people for actually a couple of hundred years to lay off the idolatry and to get back to God. The Jews really had trouble laying down their, all, their idols. They loved them. And there was a lot of people back then who practiced idolatry because they believed, they honestly believed, it would help them, make them better. Many people today have the same philosophy <clears throat> towards certain things, such as uh, uh, the lotto. And they'll spend quite a, quite a bit of their income buying lotto tickets, hoping to win it big, figuring that uh, someone's got to win, it may as well be them, and once they get that money, then all their problems are over. And they don't realize what a serpent, what a snake the lotto is. Some people think that they have to consume hard alcohol and liquor in order to get through a day and, and calm their shaky nerves. And some people do other things for other crazy reasons, but the bottom line is a lot of people do some lot of crazy things thinking that it's going to help them and only to find it's going to hurt them. Idolatry is certainly one of them. Idolatries never help anyone in the long run. The devil can fool you, make you think this is going to help you, but that's only to get you hooked. Like... Uh, A couple I knew many years ago, uh, 25, 25 years ago maybe, something like that, and they, um, they went into a casino, a Christian couple, and they, had, uh, they decided that they were only going to spend maybe a maximum of, I think it was um, $200 or something. And so they went and they uh, tried their luck at the gaming tables and lo and behold they won and they came home that night with four or five hundred dollars that was on a Friday night and they thought well so they decided they'd go back the next Friday night well um, the next Friday night they lost four or five hundred dollars so now they figured well we got to get that money back so they went back again the following week and they lost another couple of hundred. And you see, that's how the devil does it. And he gets you hooked by giving you an immediate uh, first uh, thrill. You know, it's like drugs, isn't it? People uh, do drugs and usually they think, well, I, I'll just do a little. That way I can control it. I'm in control, not, not it. They don't realize what a serpent, drugs and alcohol and things like that really are. And before you know it, they have to have their hook. That's how the devil does it. Idolatry is that way. People got into idolatry because they thought it gave them better crops. So they'd pray to certain idols, burn incense to certain idols, and oh, look, we had a, a wonderful harvest this year. Well, they're hooked now. And that's how they get into these things. 
And the, the Jews, that's how they got into idolatry. And God was pleading with them for uh, a few hundred years, actually, to give it up. And uh, they wouldn't. And so finally, God brought in judgments, conquering nations. And finally, uh, they had uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were knocking on their door, barking at their door. They laid siege to Jerusalem. Now here's the story here. They still didn't get the message. The Jews still wouldn't let go. They could have, even at that late date, they could have gotten right with God, and God, I think, would have chased away the Babylonians. But they didn't do that. They trusted in other things. And one of the things they were trusting in to get rid of the Babylonians were the Egyptians. And here in the story, we have uh, the Babylonians camped outside of Jerusalem. And the Egyptians on their way up, the big Egyptian army was coming up. When the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans as they're referred to, heard about this, they took off. And so a lot of the, uh, the people in Jerusalem thought, hey, you know, it worked. And God used Jeremiah to deliver to them a very sober message. Now, if you have your Bible open at Jeremiah 37, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet, and we'll read just a few verses together and have a word of prayer. So let's begin in verse 5, and we'll read to verse 10. Starting at verse 5, and we'll finish after verse 10. Let's read together. Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah that sent you unto me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which is come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt into their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, Deceive not yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up, every one in his tent, and burn this city with fire. Wow. Now let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us tonight to learn something about this true story, this incident that happened, and how we can make application to our lives. We count it a great privilege, dear Heavenly Father, to be able to call you Father. Yea, we can go as far as to call you Dad. Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. You love us that much and allow us that much freedom. And so, Heavenly Father, we take advantage of that freedom and we come to you in that wonderful name of Jesus. And we ask that you'd please teach and comfort our aching heart. We don't have to live long in this world to get a, a heart that's tore and beat up, dented, bruised. The devil plays for keeps. Father, we do not know all of the, the burdens that some of us are, are going through. And we sometimes call it a heavy cross to bear. We, we don't know. But you do. So tonight, Heavenly Father, speak with hearts. 
Strengthen your people. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. So, now you know the story. You had the Egyptian army coming up. And uh, it sort of freed Jerusalem temporarily, momentarily, of the attacking, besieging Chaldean army, the, the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar. And so they thought, hey, you know, this is great. Here's the answer to our problems. And God uh, gave a very direct message to the, to the people through Jeremiah the prophet and said, don't you be fooled. Those Chaldeans that took off, they'll come back. And then he said this, you know, even if there were just wounded men, that's all there were, just a bunch of wounded men, yet they shall still take this city, burn it with fire. And so you'd think that the people of God there would kind of, duh, wake up. But they didn't. Zedekiah was the name of the king here at the time. And he was the last king. He finished up his reign somewhere around 586, something like that, B.C. And uh, that was the end. They had been besieged now. The Chaldeans did come back and besieged the city. Now, we don't know what that feels like to be in a city that's besieged. But they would come uh, in numbers of like hundreds of thousands. And they would cut off the city from the uh, fruitful fields. The people in the city were trapped. They were like prisoners. And the uh, Chaldeans just waited. They just outlived them. Because they knew after enough time with no food and no water, those people are going to come out of that city. They knew that. Things got so bad in that city. You say, how bad did they get? Things got so bad that they started eating each other. That's how bad it got. And some pretty gruesome stories of what happened inside the walls of Jerusalem. Finally, they could take it no longer. And they took a chance and they tried to escape out of the city. And Zedekiah had some of his faithful men with him. And he made it as far as to a, a nearby mountain. The Babylonians caught him and brought him back. And he stood before Nebuchadnezzar. And there was Zedekiah and his sons. And Nebuchadnezzar had his sons put to death right in front of their father, King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah saw this. He saw his sons being put to death with the sword. And then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah. And they put him in chains and led him away captive to Babylon along with a whole lot of other people. People died. People were put to death there, Jerusalem. And the bodies were just left in the streets. They burned all of the buildings. They burned the, uh, the king's palace. They pulled all of the, the gold and anything of any value off the temple and they burned it. It was absolutely ran, shackled, destroyed, burned. And all they left were just the very poorest of poor people. They left them there. And everyone else got carted off to Babylon. What a horrible, horrible experience. But you see, that's what sin does. Sin is a, a nasty, nasty, uh, deadly game. 
And you and I are to stay away from it. But sometimes it's not so easy. Because sometimes we have things called bad habits. And we call them bad because they're not good. They're bad habits. What they are, listen to this. Bad habits are sins to which we've given too much permission. That's what a bad habit is. Now, there are some bad habits people have of chewing their fingernails. Um, that's not a good habit, I suppose. But there's uh, worse habits than that. These things that we've given too much permission to, all of a sudden now, we're not in control, they're in control. And how do we deal with that? How do you deal with something that just seems cle more clever, more sneaky, more stealthy, stronger than you? You just keep giving into it. You give into a bad, bad habit. One bad habit is a short fuse, you know. Boom. You get mad quick. Oh, you've got a, a short little temper and boom, something sets it off. How many know of people with a real short fuse? Can I see your hand if you know of someone? Boy, there's a, almost half of us. Wow. Of course, we're not the ones with a bad temper, obviously. We're just giving testimony to the fact that we know of someone. That if you just look at them the wrong way. When you're around certain people, it's like you've got to tiptoe on eggshells all around them. You don't want to set them off. Boy, don't you just hate being around people like that? It's going to blow up like that. Well, sometimes Christian people have a problem with their, their temper. And they can uh, fly off the handle and uh, get real animated. They, ha they don't seem to have self-control. The thing is, they themselves know, they, mostly, they, they know that that's, that's not a good habit, that's a bad habit. But they feel so powerless over it. Another bad habit, one that affects a lot of us, is the way we drive our cars. That can be a bad habit. And you say, well, how do you know uh, the difference? How do you know when someone's not driving their car right? Well, it's very simple, very simple. Uh, it's, you just got to watch them, stand on a street corner, and they'll, they stick out like a sore thumb. The bad drivers, the good drivers never stick out, never. You never stand on a street corner and, and say, Honey, look, look at that man drive. What a wonderful driver. Oh, he came to a complete stop. Oh, he looked both ways. Oh, he put his signal on as well. Oh, honey, that's a good driver. You never see those ones, do you? What you do, maybe, is first you hear the bad driver with their roar of the engine or screeching of the tires. You know, and up on the sidewalk. Hey, if you don't like the way I drive, get off the sidewalk, you know. And the bad drivers, whoa, those are the first ones you see. And it affects Christians too. Well, I don't know, I've tried to overcome it, but that's just the way I am. I, 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 what, what can you do? Well, there is something you can do. Now, of course, there's other bad habits as well. I know we're making a little bit of fun of it there, but just the idea of, of sinful habits. We'll devise schemes sometimes. We'll come up with ideas. Oh, I know how I'll overcome this bad habit. And we come up with an, an ingenious idea which lasts a day. Then we're back to the bad habit. 
or we'll come up with a super duper brilliant idea and we'll get others involved to help us and then within a week we're sneaking around behind their back doing the bad habit. You know a good illustration of this is try dieting. You, have you ever tried this? That, Man I'm gonna lose 10 pounds or I'm gonna do this or that with my diet only to find you know your first day was alright but your second day started to wear thin and by your third day you know you're looking to see if they're looking and away you go, you know, your hands in the cookie jar. We, we come up with various paraphernalia, but the end result is always the same. Look at it again in verse 9. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying the Chaldeans, or perhaps in, in this case, the bad habit, the sinful habit, shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the bad habits, the Chaldeans that fight against you and there remain but wounded bad habits yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire sinful habits bad habits probably none of us here have the sinful habit of bank robbery probably none of us probably no, no one here is tempted as you're driving past the bank you know you're drooling thinking how much money is in that one Ooh, I'd love to get in there at night with a stick of dynamite. Ooh, probably no one here has that problem. But I'll bet you you got other problems. I'll bet you anything that there's another area of your life that you're sorely tempted and tried and tested in if you've got some, some thin ice in other areas of your life. And you know, because it's happened too many times, that ice is cracked and down you've gone. The sin you hate the most is the sin you commit the most. And there's your sinful habit right there. Well, it seems that the sin, no matter what you do to it, comes back to life and conquers. I believe the key here is God has been left out of the picture. Say, how can that be? I mean, I pray. I know. But God can still be left out of the picture. The Jews prayed, but God was left out of the picture. Now this is a very graphic example. Here they are shut up in the city, and they're still committing their idolatrous practices. All you got to do is read the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet at this time over in Babylon, and God gave Ezekiel visions of what was happening in Jerusalem. And God said, to Ezekiel, look, just look at what they're doing. And I believe in that particular chapter in Ezekiel, God went through four uh, instances of wicked idolatry that the Jews in Jerusalem were still doing with the Chaldeans all around the outside waiting to get in. Yet they prayed. And they prayed to Jehovah God too. But God's power really depending on God's power, had been left out of the picture. So, I believe that this is the key, and only God, and maybe in particular God the Holy Spirit, has the power to deal with this sort of thing. Now, I'd like you to turn over to uh, Psalm 62. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go over to uh, Zechariah, and uh, I want to uh, read you something. 
And I'll meet you up, I'll meet up with you there in Psalm 62. But in Zechariah chapter 4 and uh, verse 6, this is a very precious and special promise we have of God. He put it in the Bible and it's very applicable for you and for me concerning these weak areas of our lives and the sinful habits and bad habits that we sometimes have. But in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, here's the promise of God. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel was the governor there. Uh, this is many, many years later when they were allowed to go back out of Babylon and rebuild Jerusalem. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And what that tells us is that when it comes to really getting victory over sinful habits, it's not going to be by might, nor by power. It's going to be by God. It has to be a work of God. And it's sort of like that in salvation, isn't it? You can't save yourself. You can't get yourself to heaven. You can't do enough good works. Some people actually think if they give enough money to charity, or give enough money to poor people, give enough money to churches, that God will accept them. That's a system of works. That's a salvation by works. And that may be fine for pagans, but it's not fine for the one true God who holds the key to life and death. No one's going to get to heaven by good works. The only way we can get to heaven is through the merits of someone else. That's Jesus Christ. That's the only, only way we can get to heaven. Everything else falls flat on its beak. Nothing else works. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now with that in mind, you're in Psalm 62, and I'd like to direct your attention to verse uh, number uh, 11. Read it out loud with me, please. Psalm 62, 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Take your pen or pencil and underline those last words. Power belongeth unto God. That is a key for the Christian life, folks. Power belongs to God, not to us. The Lord Jesus, before he went back to heaven, got his disciples together and he said, All power is delivered unto me. I got it. I got all the power you could possibly need. And then he commissioned us. Go ye therefore. Remember that? So all power. Well, how is it that we can fight the army of sin? How can we fight these sinful habits and bad habits that often get the victory on us? Well, there's two parts. Your part, or my part too, right? Our part, and God's part. Here's the thing. It's called a divine human cooperative. God has a part, we have a part. God will never do our part for us. That's our part. And we can never do God's part, because only He can do it. And I'll give you a good example of this. When Jesus went to the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2 and his mother came to him and said, they have no wine. You remember this story? Yes? And then uh, so um, Jesus says, woman, what, what have I to do with thee? My, mine hour is not yet come. But his mother knew and said, she said to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. 
That's what, he, uh, that's what she said to the servant. That's good advice too for today, isn't it? Whatsoever Jesus Christ tells you to do, do it. That's good advice. John chapter 2. So there were six stone water pots. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill them with water. Well, wait a minute. Why didn't Jesus fill them with water? He's got two good legs. He is healthy and all that. Why didn't Jesus go and fill those water pots with water? And the answer is simple. Because that's something the servants could do. That was their part. And so they did it. They went and they filled these six stone water pots with water. They did their part. And then Jesus did his part. He said to one of the servants, Now go and dip in, bear some of this water now to the governor of the feast. And that's when Jesus turned the water into wine. And it was so good tasting. I, by the way, I don't believe that was full of alcohol. I... I give you my reasons for that, but if, you really are, if you're really interested in this subject, we got a book in our little bookstore there. Uh, every Bible verse there is that talks about wine and alcohol, it's dealt with. It is the definitive book on the market, on the subject. You can get, it, get that book. We've ordered a few more. You could, uh, you could get that be a good reference to have in your home. Some of you already have that book, Bible, uh, Wines and Alcohol. It is the definitive work on that. And it, it just knocks all of the modern arguments right out. It just cuts them right off at the knees. And it shows them biblically that it's not right for Christians to be consuming beverage alcohol. Anyhow, that's not my sermon here. My message is how that Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, then why didn't the servants turn the water into wine? Why do you think? They couldn't. To save their lives, they couldn't. They didn't know how. They had no power. So, there's a divine human cooperative here, isn't there? Mankind has a part, and God has a part. And so when it comes to getting victory over sin, we have a part... And Jesus has a part. Alright, let's begin here with uh, our part. We'll start with us. Um, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of Romans. And we're going to finish up the message here in the book of Romans. And I'd like you to go to chapter 7, if you would please. Romans chapter 7. Now, in Romans chapter 7, I'd like you to read out loud one verse with me. And that verse is going to be verse number 18. Romans 7, 18. Okay? Romans 7, verse 18. Read it out now with me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So here's the predicament, but also here's the, the kernel of truth. We need to learn to hate sin. That's our, one of our big problems. We don't hate sin enough. We need to learn to hate sin. This is what's going to give us the victory. Our part is to learn to hate what God hates. Listen to this. 
until sin becomes bitter, Christ will not become sweet. In order to have the sweetness of Christ, you must know the bitterness of sin. And those bad habits, you need to look at them as something hateful, not something tolerable, not something, oh, every man's problem, oh, this is just a common human uh, uh, ailment. No, you need to hate the thing. You need to learn to hate it. You have to educate yourself to hate that. See, one of the reasons why, why we stay clean physically, one of the reasons is because we hate dirt. When you get uh, dirty, you've got a natural inclination to go and shower or bathe or get out grandma's lye soap and a scrub brush and scrub that dirt right off you. If you've got a bunch of dirt on your face, your natural inclination is to run to the restroom and wash that off. We need to learn to hate sin like that. And the sin that you're struggling with, that sin that seems to get victory, you need to hate that thing. I mean, really hate it, loathe it, despise it. That's the kind of hate we're talking about. Do not mollycoddle sin. Do not say, oh, this has just been the way I have been for all these years. I'll just have to be this way till I get home to heaven. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're just leaving the door open for the devil. You need to hate sin, desperately hate it. Learn to hate sin. Educate yourself on the subject. Whatever that sin is, you need to learn a few things about it. Read what God says about it, and maybe, listen to this, memorize scriptures that deal with that sin. I'll give you a couple examples without getting uh, graphic. Uh, there's a sin called greed. That's a very common one. Greed. And I think that's why a lot of people go for uh, the lottos, trying to win the millions or the billions or whatever. The greed. R write down Luke 12.15. Luke 12.15. There's one verse. The Bible's full of verses that deal with these subjects. But this is what I'm getting at. If you've got a problem with the, the, the lotto, and you've got a secret desire to be, to be wealthy and rich, and not many people know it, but you know it, you know, and maybe you put on dark sunglasses and go into a, a strange city and buy lotto tickets, something like that. Imagine that, right? Oh, the corny things we do. And you know it's not right, because the pastor says it's not right, but, oh, man, if I win it big, boy, he'll be happy. Well, that'll be for another sermon. Um, Luke 12, 15, Jesus clearly taught us that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things or the things that he possesses. Soon as you get a whole big bucket of money, everyone wants to kill you for it. That's about it. As soon as people know that you're wealthy, you've struck it rich, whew, your life isn't worth a plug nickel. Someone's going to find a way to get it from you. They're going to schmooze it out of you with this business venture and that business venture. They got clever ways of trying to get your money away from you. There's just one verse there. I mean, there's a lot of verses on greed. Here's another problem that plagues humans is lust. That's another basic problem that people struggle with. The unsaved struggle with it, but so do the saved, too. And there's different kinds of lust. 
What a lust is, is simply a desire out of control. That's what it is. A desire out of control. That's what a lust is. And so you could write down 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16 might be a good verse for you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world. Start memorizing some scriptures that are really going to help you. When you memorize these scriptures, it's like you're giving the Holy Spirit the sword, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will bring that to your rescue time and time again. Another problem that people struggle with is called laziness or slothfulness. Lazy, lazy. Write down Proverbs 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Write that down. Solomon says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Don't go to your uncle, go to your aunt. No, that's not what he said. He said, go to that creepy crawler little thing. And you watch that thing and you learn a lesson. Boy, they, they don't sleep in. Oh, just five more minutes, five more minutes. They don't do that. You know, it's not so easy to get out of bed when you're supposed to get out of bed. Well, sometimes I think we have to do it in stages, right? Because if you just turn the alarm off and lay back, what's going to happen? Out you go. No, what you have to do is you've got to first sit up. That's going to be your first goal. If I can only sit up. Lord, help me to sit up. Oh, there. Thank you, Lord. And you're still kind of dopey like this. What some people do is they set a second alarm across the room. And they time it. The first alarm goes off at 6. The second alarm across the room goes off at 6.02. Something like that. And then sometimes they have a third alarm, you know, 6.03, down the hall or something. You get the idea, and by then, oh, I'm awake. But first you get your, your feet swung out of bed and get your feet on the floor. That's your first goal. Next goal is maybe to make it to the bathroom so that you can put cold water on your face. Cold water on my face? I'll die. I've never heard of anyone dying. Now, they've done a lot of autopsies, you know, on a lot of weird deaths, and I've never, ever heard that one. But you've, sometimes you've got to do it in stages. Sometimes it may take you 10 minutes to get up and wake up. It might do that. But learn scriptures. Get the scriptures because, you know, as the alarm goes off, the, uh, the Holy Spirit will bring these verses to your mind if you ask Him to help you the night before. And so what I'm saying is your part, your part is to educate yourself on this miserable, rotten thing that's, that's beat you so many times. You deserve to start winning, by the way. The devil deserves to start losing, too, by the way. You really need to see that sinful habit as something out of the pit of hell. Don't molly call it a little. Don't call it, you know, by fuzzy, warm little names or make jokes, per se. You've got to see it as your deadly enemy. Start convincing yourself that only wicked people love that sin. Only the wicked of the wickedest love that kind of stuff. And stay away from anything that might lead you to sin. If you have a problem with alcohol, and in order to get to, get to work or to get home from work, you've got to pass right by a an alcohol store, a liquor store, or maybe a, um, like a saloon, you know, where they sell that horrible stuff. 
Maybe what you need to do is replan your route. Oh, but it'll take me five extra minutes to go home. It's much faster to go right past the liquor store. Yeah, don't you realize what you're doing? You're saying, hit me, hit me. Remember, maybe it happened to you when you were a kid in school and someone would come up and slap you on the back. Hey, how are you doing? And they stick a sign to your back that says, kick me. Has anyone ever had that happen to them in school? All right, just the two of us, Michelle. Oh, three. Okay, the club's growing. Some of you are too ashamed to raise your hand, but you know what we're talking about. That happened to me, too. And I didn't know why, you know, I was getting kicked. I guess I wasn't a good old boy after all. Had a sign on my back. And what you do is you, you put a target. You know, you'll put a target right on your chest if you just keep exposing yourself to temptation. Be very, very careful about that. So this is all your part. All right, enough said. Let's move on now to God's part. When you do your part, God will do his part. If you do not do your part, God won't necessarily do his part, and chances are he won't. All right? Now, for this, we'll turn over a page to chapter 8 of Romans. Chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 13. Romans chapter 8, and verse number 13. Read it out loud with me now, please. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. To mortify means to put to death. That's the answer. You know, there are some problems in life that can be solved with a fly swatter. There are other problems in life that can only be solved with an axe. And sin is one of those problems that needs the axe, not the fly swatter. We need to be deadly and ruthless when it comes to sin. When I got saved back in 1975, I had schooled myself, I had nourished myself on a lot of bad music. Real bad, raunchy music. And I had purchased all these albums. And the Holy Spirit was telling me, that stuff's not good for you. And I was actually agreeing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And then the Holy Spirit said, get rid of them. And I thought, uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Look at all the money I spent on these things. There's a lot. Maybe I could sell them to someone. And the Holy Spirit said, don't sell your sin to someone else. Oh, he got me there. Well, I said, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. So anyhow, the Holy Spirit convinced me. Well, let's just start with one. Just take the, the one of those records that you, that you least like and break it over your knee. And so I stood by the garbage. I had this pile of records, and I had one that I picked out. And I thought, well, this is the one that I, I you know, if I had to lose one, I could lose this one. But I took it out of its jacket. For those of you who may don't know what I'm talking about, a record, you know, these round things, they're usually black and they go in a kind of a cardboard sleeve, we would call it a jacket. Some of you are looking at me, strange. Well, okay, I'm just trying to help some of the younger ones that may have never seen these things before. It's old technology. Hey, I'm the guy with the 8-track stereo, you know, remember me? So anyhow, I took this thing, and the garbage was open, and I said, oh boy, 
And then I just did it. I cracked it over my knee and I threw it in the garbage. Well, at that very moment, pow, did I get power. Oh, man. I grabbed the next record. I broke it and I threw it in. And I felt so good about it. I felt like I had broken the habit. You know, I've kicked the habit. And I, and I smashed another one and I went through all of those rock records and I got rid of them. And I thought, hallelujah. And I never listened to another one of those, that's for sure. They're in the garbage. You have to be ruthless with sin. But God's part is to mortify it. And he'll do it maybe through you. He'll do it maybe through someone else. Maybe if your sin is in a bottle that you've got tucked up in a cupboard behind something. Oh, I don't know if I can get rid of it. Why don't you tell a loved one and ask a loved one to help you? Oh, but they'll, they'll, for sure they'll throw it out. They'll pour it down the drain. Yeah, that's the idea. If you can't, get someone that can help you. It's God's power to mortify. See, we've been trying to do it on our own strength. That's why it's not working. You know, it, it's... I don't know if I can illustrate this. Andre, can I have you up here for a minute? Okay, so Andre's going to represent... Sure, come on up here. <laughs> Tell you what, both come on up here. There we are. <laughs> we didn't plan that. All right, so uh, both of these guys are going to be uh, sinful habits, bad, bad habits. I hope you don't mind. Okay? And uh, so uh, uh, Andre number one, Andre number two, okay, or bad habit number one, bad habit number two. And so uh, what I have to do is I have to seek the Lord's help. And I've got to... Uh, to look upon these bad habits and I've got to just realize that these guys are out of the pit of hell. These guys have done nothing to help me. They've always pulled me down. I got to start calling them by their rightful names. Uh, pit and hell. You know? And I've got to re-educate myself. I've got to get Bible verses here that teach me that uh, this guy uh, with, with all of his wickedness uh, he's, he's nothing but lies and blaspheme, blasphemies and things like that. And Bible verses that teach me that this guy here, with all of his lusts and his greeds, these, these guys have done nothing good to help me. They always pull me down. They always hold me back. I always feel guilty and bad afterwards. Well, we got to get rid of them. We got absolutely got rid of them. And so what, what needs to happen here is two parts. My part is to educate myself, and God's part here is to mortify them. And so if if I go up to them and I try and mortify them, if I try and do God's part, here's what happens. Oh, you nasty sin, you. Oh, put out your hand. Shame on you for causing me so much trouble. There. They look pretty good to me. They look like they're still alive and living. Right? No, what we need to do is take out, and I should have brought it. But... I have this big heavy sword, see, and we need to administer. No, it's God actually who, who needs to do it. We can't do it. All we can do is like the little fly swatter or the little push on the shoulder. Oh, you bad, bad, sinful habit, you. Oh, no, it's God who comes. I'll show you how to deal with these guys. And whack, off go their heads when God does the job. We're not going to take it any further than that. We're not going to illustrate anything, but thank you very much, Andre and Andre. Thank you for that. Any more Andres here tonight that would like to uh, come and help us?
All right. Thank you very much, guys. These are good guys, too, by the way. All right. I love these guys. And they mean a lot to me. God's part. Listen, folks. There's a thing called the power of the cross. We got a cross here on the front of the, the pulpit. It's to remind us the death Christ paid and the death Christ died for you and for me and how he shed his blood and what he did for us. Well, the cross is our ticket to freedom. The cross is our power. You nail something to the cross, you're talking serious business. So as you educate yourself and realize your part, how wicked and wrong that sin is, you nail that sin to the cross and let God kill it. One of the most powerful places that you can ever take your sin to get rid of it is your prayer closet. Now if you're here today, you don't have a prayer closet. You are missing out, my friend. It's like you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're missing out. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, a good Bible, a good King James Bible, and if you don't have one, you are missing out. And if you don't have a place that you can slip away to every day, we call a prayer closet, be it behind the couch or down in an actual room or, listen to this, in an actual closet where you've got to push the clothes out of the way, you've got a little chair in there and you get in with a 40-watt light bulb or something and you open up your Bible and you can get on your knees someplace where you can get away from the family, get away from people, and get alone with God. That's your prayer closet. That thing is so powerful. That has nuclear power. You know, these nuclear reactors, guys, they don't just walk right in to the nuclear reactor thing. They've got to have these incredible hazmat suits and things. They've got to have all kinds of padding and insulation on them. And even then, they can't get all that close, depending on the strength of the nuclear reactor or something. They can only get so close. Anyone else will die they get close they won't because they got all of the protection. Your prayer closet, you can draw close to Almighty God and you can live to tell about it. But sin can't. Your miserable sin will die. It'll shrivel. It'll scream and shriek and shrivel up on the floor. It's wonderful. It's absolutely glorious to hear the shrieks out of sin. You can actually feel the burden fall because of your prayer closet. Turn things over to God. Seek God's glory for the victory. Constantly be praying. Now these uh, bad habits sometimes have a way of coming back to life. And when they do, you repeat the process all over again. You call upon the Bible verses that you've learned. You put it into God's hands. Maybe even you come forward on an invitation. No one else will know why you're coming, but you come and you leave on the altar, so to speak, that bad habit, that thing that's pulling you down. You may feel safe in church on Sunday, but you know Monday's coming. Oh, boy. When I get back to work, when I get into school, oh, man, I just seem to change. I'm not the same person on Sunday that I am on Monday. And I let my guard down, and sometimes I dress like them, and sometimes I go to their places of, you know, the grog shops, the swill joints, and I sit with them. 
wow, and I don't want to do that. Sometimes I laugh at their miserable, filthy jokes, and I don't want to do that, and I feel bad about that. But I seem helpless. I seem powerless. Oh, your prayer closet, your altar. This is where God can mortify these things. You can't. All you can do is go up to them and just give them a little slap on the wrist. Oh, you naughty, naughty, bad habit. That's about the best you can do. When God gets a whack at him, he takes their head off. God can mortify these things. That's what you and I need. That's what we need. And I want to encourage you to start tonight. There's not one of us here that's perfect. Not one. There's not one of us here that, that doesn't have some area of weakness. And I'll tell you something funny about sin. We often think of sin as things you do. You do this lust. You do this greed, right? Those are things you do. Well, there's another side to the street, another side to the coin. And those are the good things you don't do. Every morning you get up and forsake the Lord and get busy and get out the door. That's a sin. It's a sin of omission. The other's a sin of commission. You've done something. Here's a sin of omission. When God tells you, okay, I want you to, to do this, or do that, and give this, and give that, and we do not obey God, that's just as much a sin. Just as much a sin as having done something. Not doing what's right can be just as much a bad, sinful habit. Some Christians have a lot of trouble with tithing. And they know it's in the Bible, and they read about it. Whoa, tithing, whoa, let's change the subject. And they don't tithe. They never tithe. And they never give anything to God. Well, that's between them and God, but it's not right. It's not right. God gives all the time to us. We're to give back to Him. Now, we're not under law, okay? Let's get that straight. We're not under law. We're under grace. And God's not about to take your head off because you don't tithe. We're not saying that at all. But it's still not right. It's not right for kids to never say thank you to mom and dad. Oh, they'll still be your kids. They're just never thankful. They never get alone with you and say, Mom, I, I'm so glad you're my mom. They never get alone with you and say, Dad, I'm so glad that God gave me you. I am so glad you're my dad. I'm so glad you're my mom. Yeah, you could live your whole life and never say those words, right? But boy, are you missing out. And as Christians, we need to give back to God. Praise and glory and tithes and time and talents. We need to give these things freely back to God. And if we don't, we're missing out. But we're not doing it because we're scared. All right, join the club. God will give you strength. Let God mortify the fear. All right, we're talking tonight about sinful habits. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have a word of prayer. I'd like to invite you to come to the altar tonight. Find your way to the altar and ask God to do a work in you maybe that you haven't seen in a long time. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.